Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you noticed a little bit of trouble from wearing a mask all the time? Maybe some acne changes or some redness on the face? What about sanitizer dermatitis? We're all washing our hands so much using hand sanitizer. Sometimes these things can cause a lot of redness on the skin and cause reactions that we never anticipated, but we certainly want to stay safe and wash our hands. What are some of the other skin manifestations and things that, you know, maybe you should not wait to get checked out? Well, today I am lucky enough to have Dr. Ryan Sato on the line, and he runs the clinic Sato Dermatology. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about what are some of these skin issues that have arisen, particularly related to this current coronavirus pandemic, and what else can we do to keep our skin safe? Maybe when we all emerge to enjoy the sun outside, is our skin going to be more sensitive if we've been indoors? We're going to hear and talk about that and more. I want to thank you for joining me on the show today, Dr. Sato. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Now, I've noticed it myself, right? I'm wearing a face mask all day. What's with feeling like a teenager again? Why is that happening and is it are cloth masks better than surgical masks? Why do I feel like I'm getting pimply acne? This is this is just I, I don't like it. Make it go away. <laughs> it has been um, very uh, interesting as far as this. You know, we're living in an unprecedented time with this uh, COVID pandemic. Um, and from a skin standpoint, uh, in dermatology, yes, we have seen you know an uptick in certain uh, conditions. Um, because of the certain steps we've had to take to keep ourselves safe and healthy. Um, just as you mentioned, as far as uh, wearing masks, um, and, you know, masks uh, definitely uh, required uh, by law and also safe for us to use both for ourselves and others. Um, but with this, with that uh, compression and its sealant um, and uh, uh, that compression against our face definitely can cause for uh, more acne, um, also to a different type of acne, per or dermatitis. Um, or even just that irritation from the mask um, causing an irritant dermatitis. Um, you're definitely right that uh, the different types of masks, whether it be an N95 or a surgical mask or a cloth uh, mask, can also affect as far as um, what kind of condition or the severity of the condition. Um, and depending upon what we're able to get and use, um, you know, may um, be irrelevant in the sense that you know, we do need to protect ourselves with you know, uh, the best available mask that we have. Is there any kind of lotion you can put on to prevent it from getting worse? Is there some kind of treatment? Should I just go back to like, hey, recommending people go to the old benzoyl peroxide, go get your kid's acne treatment and put that on your face? Uh, definitely could. So, um, of course, any topical we're using, we definitely want to be conscious as far as, you know, um, along with the mask, that we don't want to uh, interrupt that barrier and, uh, as far as our protection. Um, but with um, acne that people are getting, you know, something over the counter like a benzoyl peroxide wash or a salicylic acid wash could definitely help. Um, if that is unable to control the acne that we're getting, uh, definitely seeing a um, specialist or your doctor could definitely help as far as uh, prescription, whether it be a topical uh, acne prescription or even oral uh, acne medication to help with that. Well, and I have to tell you, the interesting thing about masks is that, yes, they're meant to keep us safe, but boy, they also keep you from touching your face all day long. I mean, it's like a physical barrier. So you're like, wow, I didn't realize how much I would scratch my nose or touch my face until I can't do it. And then it drives me crazy. 
And the times that you do touch your face, you're like, oh, man, I'm touching my face. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. And then I go, oh. okay, where's the sanitizer again? And so <laughs> what's happening to our hands? And, you know, is a good moisturizer going to fix this? I mean, I know that washing your hands, you can get some really good emollient soaps that are really helpful. And a lot of times in places that you go, people are relying on sanitizer because it's quicker and it's a little bit easier than trying to get running water. So for those people who have become like sanitizer users frequently, their skin's getting really dry. What if you get a paper cut? I mean, that's the you'll know you have one as soon as you try and sanitize. So what can we do about that? Do we just get more lotion or is there some way to prevent that from causing such irritation? For sure. It has been uh, difficult, especially with people who already had atopic dermatitis or an irritant hand dermatitis. Um, that now us needing to wash our hands more and stay safe and use hand sanitizer. That you know, if you can imagine that alcohol just you know pulling out that moisture and really stripping our skin barrier. Um, of course, you know if we need to clean our hands, definitely uh, have to. But also, just as you mentioned, you know, using a moisturizer, uh, maybe something hypoallergenic, um, gentle brands like Cetaphil or Aveeno, and using that moisturizer multiple times per day to try to really kind of lock in and seal that moisture uh, in our hands. Of course, if that doesn't work, um, you're seeing your uh, healthcare professional as far as, you know, whether a topical prescription could help. Um, so we've definitely seen in dermatology an uptick as far as uh, prescriptions or seeing patients um, with a hand dermatitis and needing to uh, prescribe and treat that. And so in that situation, is it usually a steroid-based treatment, a non-steroid-based treatment? What sort of things can help other than obviously avoiding the irritant, which is easier said than done? Definitely. Um, topical steroids typically end up working uh, fastest with that to give us uh, more immediate relief. Um, of course, there's uh, non-steroidals uh, out there like uh, newer one, Eucrisa, um, and there are also uh, Flotopic or Tacrolimus. Um, and with these uh, topical uh, creams and ointments to try to decrease that inflammation, decrease that itching, and kind of get our skin back to how it was before. Now, one of the things I've been recommending to folks is that if you're going to put on a really good moisturizer at night, and you're going to go to bed. You're going to rub it all over your sheets. So if you can get a pair of, like, cotton gloves, that might help to keep your hands moisturized. Um, or the other thing I've told people, and this could sound crazy, and you're allowed to say if it does, is I tell them, put on a pair of socks on your hands. Sleep with paws. <laughs> I mean, that way you're just rubbing your moisturizer on yourself, and it'll keep you from rubbing it off. But it'll also, you take... You take those off in the morning and your hands are super soft and super moisturized and it seems to work really well. Is that a crazy suggestion? Not crazy at all. So totally agree. Um, you know, using something uh, like a cotton glove or, you know, socks, typically cotton, able to kind of trap in that moisturizer. Um, and also, too, just as you mentioned that, you know, if we're using something real thick like Vaseline or Aquaphor uh, on our hands uh, that, you know, can feel sticky if we're trying to go, you know, about our day. Uh, but also, too, not only just kind of uh, reducing that feeling of stickiness and being able to kind of touch things, you know, in our house without getting this moisturizer everywhere, but also, too, it can kind of drive in that moisture uh, overnight as well and even uh, be more effective. Yeah, I just, I noticed that when I've done that myself, it's really been helpful for the next day because I'm just sanitizing, using the sanitizer all day long. And I've seen patients who are in a similar situation and their skin gets so red and if it gets cracked, the alcohol becomes like a paper cut finder. You know, you didn't know it was cracked, but you do now. And so it causes a lot of irritation and discomfort. And we certainly want to prevent that. So 
those are some of the are there other common things that you're seeing in the office as a result? Those seem to be some of the things that I'm hearing about or seeing myself. What are some other things you've noticed that people have experienced that are directly related to some of the protection or some of our mechanisms to avoid further exposure? Uh, those are the most common ones that we see. Um, some other uh, more uncommon ones may be if someone did actually have an allergic contact dermatitis uh, to something, whether it be in a mask, that if someone had a cloth mask, and depending upon the material, if it was treated with formaldehyde, that's a possible um, cause for an allergic contact dermatitis. Um, also, to the wiring in a mask um, you know, could cause for an allergic contact dermatitis as well. Um, but those are the more common ones that we're seeing. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Ryan Sato. He is a dermatologist and expert in all things related to the skin. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the other consequences of being indoors a lot and then going outside. What kind of sunscreen should we be looking at and which ones are safest for the skin? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Ryan Sato on the line, and we're talking today about skin issues that can arise, particularly now that we've been needing to wear masks and sanitize our hands, and some other things that might happen when we start to go outdoors again. Now, Dr. Sato, I admit it, I am pale. I wish I could get a tan. It doesn't happen. I get a burn. So I've been trying to avoid being outdoors in the sun, but it's so nice on the weekends to get some fresh air. And I know that I'm not alone. So for those folks who need to put on something as a barrier to help protect their skin, what sort of ingredients and sunscreens are safe these days and what should we be looking for? Sure. So definitely, you know, being indoors for months, it feels like years, but months. And now that, you know, we're able to go out and enjoy, we definitely want to protect ourselves from the sun to decrease our risk as far as skin cancer in the future. Also, not just skin cancer, but photoaging, whether it be spots and wrinkles. I mean, a lot of that, it's all really caused from the sun. As far as a sunscreen, um, there's a lot of uh, sunscreens um, and sunscreen ingredients out there. Um, but typically, we recommend a physical block and that pertains to the active ingredient, uh, zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. Um, with these, that you'll be getting broad-spectrum protection, which protects both against UVA and UVB rays. Um, also, too, um, more recently, that uh, in Hawaii, uh, the law was passed that will go into effect uh, January 1st, 2021, um, banning the sale of uh, chemical sunscreens, oxybenzone and octanoxate. Um, so just uh, making sure our reefs are safe. Um, but as far as these sunscreens, uh, SPF 30 and higher. And definitely if we're going to be, you know, outdoors sweating, swimming, uh, something with water resistance, uh, the highest rating would be uh, 80 minutes. And then you have to apply it. You don't just wait 80 minutes. I mean, you apply it more often if you're out in the sun the whole time? Definitely. So uh, with uh, sunscreen that, um, you definitely want to reapply just that people can get caught where they think, you know, I'm going to use SPF 100 and that's going to last eight hours. But really after an hour or two, you know, we're just getting a lot of sun damage. Um, so definitely reapplying is well, important. And now SPF is sort of an interesting thing. To go from an SPF... 30 to like a 45, is it that much protection 
that's extra. I mean, I remember talking once and hearing that, you know, an SPF 15 gives you a certain percentage protection against UVA, UVB. An SPF 30 is a little bit more, but anything above a 30, you're not really getting three times as much protection if you try and find an SPF 100. Totally correct. So definitely a little misleading with that. Uh, from 15 to 30, we do get a good amount of benefit, and so we do recommend 30, uh, which uh, based on studies blocks for around 97% of the sun's UVB rays. Um, going from 30 to 50, that increases about 1%, so it's pretty negligible. Um, so typically, uh, typically we recommend 30 and above. So 30 or higher, you should be safe. And if it's, you know, if it's something that is a barrier sunscreen, could you also just, and this this may seem silly, but there's SPF clothes, right? So could you just, like, wear a shirt? Is that going to protect your skin? Can you get sunburn through your shirt? Uh, you definitely can. So uh, I really uh, advocate and uh, for our patients to wear uh, sun protective clothing. So it's not all about sunscreen. Um, the nice part about sun protective clothing is that you don't need to keep reapplying. Um, it's also rated, too, and instead of that SPF, it's called UPF as far as this. Um, with the sun protective clothing. Um, and so when you're looking as far as a shirt, the patients are asking, oh, if I just wear a long sleeve cotton shirt, you know, is that good? Do I need to wear anything else? But, you know, if you just wear your regular cotton shirt, what is the rating with that? I mean, we don't really know. There's a lot of factors as far as the type of dye that was used, the color of shirt, the type of material. So we don't really know as far as that rating. So that's a nice part about getting a UPF rated shirt that we know as far as that level of protection with the shirt. Could you ever have sun damage that occurs without getting a sunburn? Definitely. Um, You've just blown my mind and made me very sad. Because I used to think, okay, I'm not getting a sunburn. It's cloudy or it's rainy, but I still am getting sun damage even though I didn't turn red? Definitely. So uh, a lot of times we think, you know, if it's cloudy outside, you know, I'm not going to be getting uh, that kind of sun damage. But even if we're not getting burnt, you know, the more kind of tan or more sun that, you know, our skin's receiving, it can build up and cause essentially poor DNA damage and down the road, you know, for skin cancer. And now I'm sad. Okay. <laughs> so if, if it's daytime, you need to protect your skin somehow, some way. If you're exposing it, you need to protect it. Definitely. And so either uh, sun protective clothing, sunscreen, a wide brim hat, but also to, you know, if we're, you know, wanting to go out to the beach and, you know, read a book, you know, just bring an umbrella and, you know, umbrella with UPF rating in it that we don't need to lay out in the sun and get all that direct sunlight, but I still can be outdoors, you know, under shade. I so still enjoy being outdoors. I can be in the shade. That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. All right. So if I just go to the beach at night, I should be fine. <laughs> ah, all right. You know, I should be fine. People may look at you a little differently, but you know, <laughs> that's very true. But I think if I turn beet red, they're going to anyway. Now, there's always those there's always those theories that if you've had bad sunburns in your life, you know that I see mentioned in dermatologist notes did have several bad sunburns as a as a teenager or as a youth. Why is that such a major deal? And if you've already had banned sunburns, there's no reversing that? There's nothing else you can do? Correct. So as far as the sun damage that we get um, from our past, that there isn't anything we can do to kind of alter that damage that uh, we've gotten. Uh, but, you know, it's not one of those things where I want patients to think, oh, just give up hope. Da -da, I got all this sun. You know, I'm just going to continue to get a, a lot of sun. That really doesn't matter at this point. 
Um, studies have kind of shown that, you know, having five or more sunburns actually doubles our risk as far as melanoma. Only five? Uh, so we, yeah, only five. I'm in some serious trouble. Okay. <laughs> um, but the other, you know, another statistic, too, is that, you know, if we catch melanoma early, um, that the five-year survival rate, 99%. So it may be one of those things that, yeah, we've had that sun damage, but, you know, if we're still taking proactive steps to protect ourselves, to have regular checkups with the dermatologist, that, you know, we still can try to avoid these negative outcomes from our previous um, uh, previous uh, sunburns that we've had. So let's talk about our friend melanoma, because it's not our friend. But what are some of the signs or symptoms? You know, some folks might have said, oh, I see this mole growing and it doesn't seem that bad. Maybe I'll just get it checked out next year because I don't want to go to the doctor's office. That's a midst of a pandemic or something. But there are certain moles you just don't want to ignore. So what would be the characteristics of the get it checked out kind of mole? Definitely. Uh, and just in general, if somebody is concerned about something that is getting bigger, it's sore, it's symptomatic, it just doesn't look right, definitely, you know, talk to your doctor about this because better safe than sorry as far as these things. As far as melanoma, which is the one that, uh, you know, we hear about the most, the most deadliest, the one that we definitely want to catch. Uh, one thing we talk about is the ABCDEs of melanoma, so more concerning features as far as a mole. So A stands for asymmetry, that if one half of the mole doesn't match the other half, uh, B, central border. The border edges of the more ragged, blurred, or irregular. C, color. The mole has different colors or different shades. And D, diameter. A mole uh, about the size of a eraser of a pencil, about six millimeters. And E is evolving. That, you know, this is really kind of on the patient, that if you're noticing something, it doesn't look right, it's changing, definitely please let us know so we can take a look. Now, one of the things that you've been able to spearhead in your clinic, and you've done for a while, and much better than I have, is telemedicine. In some ways, it's ideal because people can take a picture of something, they can send it to you, you can take a look at it, say, yes, get in here, or hey, this doesn't look that bad. Uh, This is one of the ways that we can use technology to adapt to our circumstances now, given the fact that some people may not want to come into doctor's offices. But are there particular conditions for which telemedicine might be ideal in the world of dermatology? And subsequently, when would it not be? Definitely. So I think uh, having telemedicine uh, in our practice is nice as far as our repertoire and being able to uh, see and treat patients, especially in the midst of uh, this global pandemic, uh, especially patients who we have who are older, who may have other health conditions that, you know, don't want to leave the house, um, and rightfully so. That, you know, being able to sit, you know, in the comfort of their own home, send us pictures, teleconference, that we can identify, one, you know, if it's okay and we don't need to worry about it, or two, if it is something that they need to come in and get checked out. Uh, So it can be a screen tool in that sense. Uh, With telemedicine, things that work great as far as this, so regular office visits, such as acne or uh, rash, or if it's just a certain growth, and, you know, if we do have great pictures, we can definitely get an idea with it. Um, With all growth, so it can be a little bit tough. That nothing can replace, you know, me standing there, touching this thing, squeezing it, feeling it, um, and really getting a close look at it. And so sometimes, you know, a lot of times we can tell if it's okay. I can tell if it's not okay, but sometimes I just tell them I can't tell at this point that I think, you know, and if it's concerning enough, then maybe you should come on in uh, to uh, be evaluated in person. Uh, the one thing with telemedicine that you know, can't work is doing a full skin check. So if someone wanted a full skin check, uh, or full body check for skin cancer. Yeah, uh, don't take all those selfies. Be... You know, don't send <laughs> yeah, you 50 so... <laughs> selfies. Exactly. That's just so that's not going to go. Well, just because uh, the level of quality at this point uh, isn't that good. But, hey, who knows? Maybe, you know, 20 years down the road, you know, technology advances more. Eh. 
Could be. You know, you never know. These days, everything that we used to see on the Jetsons is actually happening. You know, working from home, home office, exercise, watching a video screen, you know, seeing the doctor virtually, email messages. I mean, all the things that I used to watch as a little kid, these are happening now. So it kind of makes me wonder, (laughs) hey, what's the what are the cartoons now? And can we do that, too? All right. I'm Dr. (laughs) Kelly. Yeah, I hope. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm on the phone with Dr. Ryan Sato. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about other common issues that might occur during the summertime that affect our skin and what we can do about it. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I've got Dr. Ryan Sato on the line, and he has Sato Dermatology as his practice uh, located at Kuakini Medical Center, and we're talking about what are some of the skin issues that can occur over time, and how do these things sometimes manifest and maybe even get a little out of control if we're not careful with sun protection or with some of the ways that we're using sanitizer and all those sorts of things. Now, we can't ignore the fact that it's nice outside and it's summertime and the beaches are just so welcoming, particularly because they tend to be a little emptier than usual. And it makes us want to go, particularly those of us sometimes that need to go at night because, you know, the sun protection. But for those of us who are outdoors a lot, what are some of the topical skin issues that happen? You hear about a lot of folks getting sort of a topical fungal infection or having some moisture exposure to their skin throughout the day. And sometimes it causes what is affectionately called howly rot. What do we do about these sorts of things? And, and what are some of the ways that these skin conditions can be treated effectively? For sure. So just as you mentioned, as far as uh, tinea versicolor or other terms that people use as holly rot or cane, um, just an overgrowth of yeast. Uh, and a lot of times we see it, people uh, outdoor sweating, that humidity, that heat, causing for the yeast in our body to overgrow. Uh, it's kind of akin to dandruff on our chest and back. Uh, and it can occur in other areas, such as our neck and arms, if it does get uh, more severe. Uh, with it, that uh, you know, using like an uh, anti-dandruff shampoo, like Selsun Blue or Head and Shoulders, definitely can help. Or an over-the-counter uh, any fungal um, that you can pick up, you know, uh, Longs or Walmart. Um, and of course, you know, if it's uh, not responding, uh, you know, dermatologist, there's different prescriptions, whether it be oral, any fungals that we can prescribe to try and get that better. So it can be treated if you get it. Could you could you proactively like use your head and shoulders shampoo all the time, or use some kind of shampoo or some type of lotion, and then prevent it from happening? Or do you kind of wait until you have it before you start taking those sorts of measures? No, you can uh, just as you mentioned, definitely can try to prevent it. Um, and so, with patients who uh, do have more severe tinea versicolor, it's more current. Uh, you know, I do recommend you know using an anti-dandruff shampoo, you know, on a daily basis or uh, every other day. And even if it's clear, just to try to prevent it from coming out. Um, personally, I get dandruff uh, on my head. I use Head and Shoulders like every day. If not, I'll start getting flaky. So uh, perfectly fine to use. Works for you. Doesn't cause any problems. Long-term use is safe. <laughs> uh, correct. Uh, okay. I'll let you know if uh, something happens. <laughs> All right. Well, if something happens, yeah, I'll be there red and out in the sun too much and hopefully not get caught. So are there other summertime skin issues that are pretty common? I mean, everybody's sort of hopefully enjoying themselves, going outdoors, being careful about sun protection. 
But there's always some things that can arise. And do, do the use of certain medications make people more susceptible to having skin issues? I know there's a, a lot of new biologics, and those are medications used in some cases for skin conditions. Otherwise, maybe for, you know, autoimmune disorders, some of the rheumatoid arthritis medicines, some of the other types of uses for these like asthma and and other issues, do they make you more susceptible to having skin concerns? And do you have to be extra mindful of, of your skin after that? As far as with these biologics, um, and these biologics are uh, medications that we've engineered molecules to attack certain uh, markers of inflammation. Um, with this, it can help treat. Um, one big one is psoriasis, that there's a lot of commercials as far as these different medications out there. Um, the concern with these uh, biologics is that it's suppressing your immune system. But that's what we want with psoriasis. Our immune system is a little bit more active, and so we just want to calm that down to kind of reduce that rash or reduce that psoriatic arthritis. Um, But does this increase our risk as far as an infection? It does. Doesn't it increase our risk as far as COVID, the infection everyone's concerned about? Uh, Theoretically, it does. And uh, if someone's on a biologic, you know, as a discussion to have with your uh, dermatologist, um, there are certain ones that we think may be safer than others. Um, but to be honest, I mean, we're still finding out or still learning a lot about COVID, and there's a lot that we don't know. And, you know, obviously there's not going to be any um, data for a bit as far as um, people on biologics and as far as, you know, the COVID infection, whether it was more severe, the more likely to get it. Um, but, of course, you know, if someone were ill, and just in general, if someone were ill and did get, or if, I'm sorry, if someone was ill and on a biologic, um, regardless of the infection, they should stop the biologic and consult their doctor. So if you if you were to get a pneumonia or get sick or bronchitis and you're on a biologic for whatever reason, talk to the doctor who prescribed it because you may need to take a little hiatus. Correct. And that should have been a recommendation even before the uh, pandemic that, you know, if you do get sick, this medication should I just put the pause button and then once you feel better to restart it. Now, biologics have kind of started to be used for other conditions in your world, like atopic dermatitis of a certain percent degree that causes significant issues that some of the medicines that are out there previously used for other immune issues are being used for those conditions as well. Are they are they really effective? You mentioned psoriasis. Some of the commercials make it seem like people with psoriasis are everywhere, and now they can suddenly expose their skin how prevalent are these conditions, and how effective are the biologics at treating them? A good question. So as far as psoriasis, um, we estimate as far as the total population, about 1% um, will get psoriasis. Uh, psoriasis can occur when uh, we're younger um, or sometimes just pop up when we're older as far as this. Um, these medications as far as bio, and I always tell my patients, if you're going to get psoriasis at any point in time, now's the time to get it. But there's so many different medications, so many different options. Um, as far as treating it, and so I think they're very effective. But just as as you mentioned, too, um, you know, commercials will always uh, uh, make things seem, um, you know, maybe greater than they are. Um, But it's really revolutionized how we treated uh, psoriasis. Atopic dermatitis, same thing? Uh, Dupixin, as far as that uh, medication, um, and and it's the only one of its type out to treat for atopic dermatitis, and it's been out for about three or four years Um, that's been a great medication. Um, a lot of my patients who we've started on the past few years hasn't stopped it. Um, so it tells me, you know, one, it's tolerated well, and two, people are noticing significant improvement or they want to stay on the medication. Is there any duration of time after which it might be ineffective or, or just not recommended at all, or could you use those indefinitely? 
Good question. So as far as this, that um, with these medications, there's probably is a sm there is a small percentage of people that may not respond um, as well initially as they did. Um, and at that point, it may be a discussion as far as switching the uh, medication. Um, as far as indefinitely, as far as the safety at this point, it seems um, safe. But of course, you know, with any newer medicine, you know, we don't have data, you know, 50 years out. Um, but based upon the data that we have now, um, that you know, continue to prescribe um, and you know, really uh, change people's lives as far as their skin. Well, and that's generally what we want to do is help people to not just look better, but to feel better about their skin and limit their risks of other skin conditions as time goes on. If people want to find you, Dr. Sato, how can they? So we're located at uh, Kukini Medical Plaza. Um, our website is sasodermatology.com, and our phone number is 585-9222. Um, giving us a call as far as uh, in-office uh, appointment or uh, definitely through uh, telehealth, uh, keeping people separated and safe. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have to have you on again. We didn't even talk about my other friends, basal cell carcinoma or squamous cells, so I'm going to sign you up to have another discussion sometime soon. But thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show, and I promise I will wear and reapply sunscreen if I'm out in the sun. Thank you for reminding me. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. See you then. Mm -hmm.